From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of LPL Market Signals. Jeff Bookbinder here, Chief Equity Strategist, joined by my friend and colleague, Mark Zabicki, Chief Investment Officer and Director of Research. How are you today, Mark? Doing well, Jeff. I uh, Great to join you here on, uh, on a Tuesday, actually. Yes, we are recording this Tuesday morning. Uh, September 6th. Looked like when we came in, we'd have some gains today, but those unfortunately have evaporated at least uh, at this point in time, late morning as we're recording. Um, here's what we got for you today. A lot to talk about. It's just a really interesting uh, market environment. We titled today's podcast, Odd Reaction to Goldilocks Jobs Report. Right, We thought this report was pretty much right what the Fed wanted to see but clearly the market has other ideas. Um, so we'll talk about the jobs report, what it means for markets, and our thoughts on what you know may happen here going forward. And then, and then the third uh, item on our agenda is um, we're making some changes to the asset allocation, uh, the tactical asset allocation for LPR research. So we'll talk about some risers and fallers for our uh, tactical asset allocation committee. These are not just things that are working, these or not working. These are things that we think are starting to look better or starting to look worse, uh, where our views are changing. So uh, let's get rolling here. Um, to start, you know, was Friday's job report what the Fed wants to see? You know, I would argue yes. And it was really interesting, Mark, the way the, the market reacted, right? Initially, stocks popped on the news. It looked like pretty much every component of the report was dovish for the Fed, and yet stocks went down. Did the market read it wrong? Uh, no, I, I think that I, I think the the market is reading uh, not necessarily um, what what a jobs report says or what the economy says. I, I think the market's probably gone back now to reading. Is the Fed going to engineer a soft landing, or is it, or is it not? So um, I think the the market trading, and we'll we'll perhaps get into the you know, August trading versus trading that happens after Labor Day, which we're now now day one in that. But um, but the point is, is I think I think the market's just revisiting the the previously held notion that the Fed was going to be you know kind of be a little bit more dovish and perhaps. Um, have a higher probability of engineering a soft landing where the, the obviously the conversation in Jackson Hole has changed that narrative just a little bit and and I think I'm I'm, I'm probably of one that would say I don't I, I probably didn't matter what the number would actually look like on Friday I just think the market is actually you know reading it negatively at this point that could possibly change though but I think that's where we were on 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 Friday. Yeah, I, I think that's right. There was really nothing in the jobs report that made the situation any worse for the Fed. Um, our our chief economist, Jeffrey Roach, did highlight that um, temporary workers reached an all-time high. And so when you have a lot of temporary workers, they can more easily be cut in a downturn. So that maybe puts the labor market on slightly weaker ground. Uh, but if you just go through all the pieces of this and you're looking here, um, for those of you watching on YouTube, you're seeing the uh, you know, the trend in jobs, right? And and what the Fed wants is less job creation. They won't admit it, but that's what they want to cool 
wage pressures. So we got that, right? We got a couple hundred thousand jobs less month over month. Uh, not only that, but we actually chopped off about a hundred thousand jobs from prior months with the revisions. Uh, so that is certainly dovish. We had um, the unemployment rate tick up just a bit. You know, not only do we want to see fewer job openings uh, to put downward pressure on inflation, we need uh, a little bit more unemployment. Not a great position to be in, but that's the position we're in. Uh, the wage gains were a little less than anticipated by economists' consensus, and uh, you know, it's not great. Five point two percent year over year, but it is starting to move in the right direction. And then the yield curve steepened. It's steepening further today because the long end of the yield curve is moving higher, and that's that's positive. So. You know, I agree with you, Mark. The market just wanted to go down. It wanted to test some of these technical levels that we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, another positive participation came up. Uh, Jeff Roach, again, pointed this out in a blog uh, last week on lpiresearch.com. Uh, the 45 to 54 cohort of the labor force actually has seen participation go back above pre-pandemic levels. Uh, so that's uh, that's my cohort. And um, we'll call it your cohort too, Mark, even though you're you might be kind of on the edge <laughs> there. Uh, it's always good, good practice to tell the boss they're young. So uh 54, you know, 45 to 54 is that's an important piece, right? Of the labor market. Obviously, the younger pieces are very important too. Uh, and everything's really moving in the in the right direction, except for this older cohort, right? There's been a lot of talk about early retirements among the 55 and up crowd and you see that in this chart the gray line moving down so um it's gonna be tough to get some of those folks back into the labor market at this point but um the majority of the labor market you know we're talking about 75 to 80 percent participation rates that's actually not only a good trend i mean it's a pretty good level uh getting near those pre-pandemic highs for those segments as well i think i wouldn't be surprised actually jeff to, to at some point see that white gray 55 and over cohort to to tick up perhaps i mean i think it just really depends um on that on the on the overall wealth effect whether so call that housing prices call it you know equity markets and and obviously we've housing prices still rise but not to the degree they once were um and then we've had a, a be equity market through the through the balance of 2022 so that may affect some things um it, it, as well so um yeah i mean you would like you would like to see you know higher participation rate you know overall but that's a that's a, a decelerating trend that we've been recognizing now for for multiple years yeah certainly these these trends are are positive but we do have a little bit more work to go and uh, but you know, more participation means less pressure on wages uh, and and a happy Fed. So um, you know, the jobs report we were really looking for uh, that report to help stocks uh, gain support around this thirty nine hundred level that we're we're breaking right now on an intraday basis, right? Again, I'm I'm calling this thing Goldilocks relative expectations. It was Goldilocks, but the market just wanted to go down. The fact that we had a fairly Goldilocks report doesn't take away from the challenges that we have in Europe, right? Which are getting worse, not better. We'll talk about that more in, in a bit. Doesn't take away from the fact that inflation is going to take time to come down, even though a lot of these inflation indicators are moving in the right direction. Uh, inflation, the, that, that problem won't be solved for many months. 
uh, at the earliest. So the market has to be patient. And, and if you're looking for, you know, a panacea, it's it's really it's really not there. Uh, but certainly this was a positive step to, um, you know, all of those items that I listed off in the job support that looked good and are moving in the right direction. But, you know, this 3,900 level mark is really, um, and it's got significance for a number of reasons. I mean, you're, you're more of a technician that, than I am, but I understand from talking to Barry Gilbert that there's a Fibonacci level around here. Uh, I think it's a 61.8% retracement level. That's in addition to, uh, you know, these sort of May lows and June highs, right? A lot of technical significance right here. So um, maybe that means the market was just trying to test that 3,900 by selling off this morning uh, to see, uh, you know, how how firm the ground is underneath this market. Yeah, I mean, no question. I, I think, I think. And we'll see how we close today, which will be the the important level to watch as far as we're concerned. And then, you know, maybe how we close over the next couple of days. But I mean, we we have an opportunity to to bounce off a of thirty nine hundred uh, level support. I guess that's that would be the hope um, in terms of uh, you know to see equity further equity market gains, kind of you know building off of some of the momentum we started to to. Um, to witness back in 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 July, um, so and I still think there's an opportunity for that. I mean, if you take a look at things from a calendar perspective, you know, Bookie, you and I have been doing this for quite a while, um, and I I've tend to really not spend you know a whole lot of time worrying about trading activity in the month of August. I mean, it's it's not it's not something that you can you know kind of disregard. No no question, but. Um, as people are um, people are all on vacation, markets are trading relatively thinly across the globe. Um, you know that you know I I would look forward to um, market participants getting back to work post Labor Day and then getting a little bit more of a meaningful uh, trajectory as to what may happen in in equity markets or other other um, risk assets kind of going forward. So we'll we'll see what post Labor Day brings, uh, and then we'll see if we can't bounce off that thirty nine hundred level um, all on a closing basis. Yeah, you know this is an important level, but I mean there's not a ton of room between where we are now and those June lows. Uh, so, you know, if you think those June lows hold, and we think the odds favor that, certainly, you know, we don't have a crystal ball, but if the June, if you think the June lows are going to hold, then this isn't a bad entry point for folks who are maybe positioned more conservatively than they want to, or maybe we're regretting missing out on the buying opportunity in mid-June. Um, th this is, um, you know, starting to get a little more, bit more interesting for, uh, for value players. The other thing I wanted to mention um, about this you know, recent sell-off is it looks exactly like 2011. A lot of people are trying to draw comparisons between this market and 1970, um, which actually makes some sense. But um, if you look at what happened in fall of 2011, we had a 17% rally, just like we, we did between mid-June and mid-August. Then we had a 10% correction in November of 2011, just like we have right now. We're not, actually, we're down about 10% right now off these highs uh, from uh, mid-August. So uh, maybe that pattern holds and, um, and and we can, you know, just get that same correction we got 11 years ago and and, and then um, move higher. And, and that was the resumption of the, the bull market 
that um, you know went all the way to the end of that decade. Yeah, I, I, I tell you, Jeff. I mean, we're we're prone. Probably the market participants are generally prone to some you know kind of irrational uh, activity, perhaps as we we all look to gauge uh, expectations around you know future Fed policy. I mean, I'm going to lean on the fact that you know the Federal Reserve is likely going to be at least in, in my view, um, a little bit more dovish than perhaps that we've built in, ter in terms of expectations over the last couple of weeks. Um, I, I, frankly, I just think I think they can't afford not to be a little bit um, a, a little bit more dovish than perhaps again we've been pricing in over the last couple of weeks. So, so there's that. I, th I think that um, um, I think at the end of the day, not that the Federal Reserve is going to be necessarily successful at engineering a, a, a soft landing, but I, I don't know that they're going to engage in the type of uh, ultra tightening policy that they seem to indicate, you know, um, in Jackson Hole, or at least, you know, uh, Powell indicated in Jackson Hole, I would I would kind of chalk some of that commentary up to a little bit of jawboning um, that he may have been entertaining. So so there's 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 that as well. So um, we'll see what September brings. We'll see what you know a balancing of rational expectations around the Federal Reserve brings. Um, but I I would say you're right, Jeff, in terms of um, the you know, the June lows um, being a, 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 a nice spot to, to certainly get support if we don't get it here at 3,900. Yeah, absolutely. That would be a 23.5% peak to trough decline if we match those, those June lows. Um, given this environment, macro environment, that, that seems like it's pricing in a fair amount of um you know the inflation problem and the economic growth problem we'll, we'll of course see uh so we have another challenge uh you know addition to the macro we have the calendar which you alluded to a little bit mark september is the week weakest month of the year historically whether you look at 10 years 20 years or even 70 years uh, which is where this data set starts uh it's the worst the only way you make it not the worst um is you look at midterm years and you actually have a worse June. We certainly lived up to that with a rough June this year. Uh, the average over the past 20 years is about a 0.6% decline. So not a huge decline, uh, but it does rank 12th and certainly is um, you know, getting a lot of attention in the media, people thinking that this might be a reason to be a little bit cautious in the near term. So it's another headwind, but we wouldn't necessarily put too much weight uh, on a... Um, seasonal pattern. I guess what maybe is more worrisome than than that, um, before I get to the good news, <laughs> more worrisome than that is when you have a year-to-date decline heading into September, like we do this year, you get worse Septembers. September on average is down over 3% in that scenario. So um, there's another reason to uh, potentially be concerned. But if you look at the right side of this chart, uh, look at what's next, October, November, December, three of the best months. In fact, in midterm years, those are the three best months. You, on average, get gains of nearly 3% in October and November in midterm years, and then another 1.2% gain on average in December. So we would certainly take that uh, if we can get it. That, of course, starts the famous six-month, you know, sell in May, go away, the six-month seasonal uh, period starting in October that 
has historically been really strong. So there's good news. It's coming. What are we? 24 days away <laughs> from ending September. Uh, hopefully, it's a you know an unusually strong September. Uh, but once we get to October, we'll have that seasonal uh, tailwind with us. So th this is um, our, our last segment, uh, risers and followers. I kind of feel like this is a fantasy football show now where, uh, you know, people are talking about who to draft and who's on the rise and who's, who's falling. But we won't talk fantasy football, even though it's, it's draft season. Uh, we're going to talk about ideas that we like, increasingly like. Uh, or um, are increasingly cautious on. And there's a few ideas here. Some of them probably won't surprise um, uh, you regular listeners out there, but, um, and some of them might be a little bit new here and, and even surprised me, one of them, uh, after we dug into it and made the case in our asset allocation committee. So um, let's start with Developed International as a faller. Um, you know, I mentioned, Mark, you're more of the technician um, but when I look at developed international from a fundamental perspective, I, I get really worried. Um, I mean, you have, you know, the, the gas flows into, into the Eurozone now have been cut off completely. They were to 20% capacity, uh, and Russia saying they're shut off indefinitely. Uh, Germany in particular is just not ready to not have access to any Russian gas. Uh, that, that the inflation outlook over there is is getting worse. It's why we may get a 75 basis point hike out of the ECB this week. Uh, that's on Thursday. So, you know, the fundamental picture is it's really tough to find anything, uh, frankly, to like in, in Europe. Um, but walk us through the technicals. When you look at this, so we got, you know, um, an RSI is certainly down and maybe it's oversold, but you have this relative strength trend, which is the, the second panel, the middle panel, relative strength trend is negative, and you've got some deterioration in the percentage of companies above their 200-day moving averages. Yeah, Jeff, I mean, the, the technicals are almost self-explanatory self here. I mean, it really, the technical analysis 101, lower highs and lower lows, you kind of tells you, tells you the story of developed international. So uh, the trend is is not your friend here. Um, and I'll, I'll second your your comments on on the on the fundamentals. I mean, I think that's uh, probably the key driver, just the the ongoing uncertainty about um, how Vladimir Putin is going to handle his um, his key customers in Europe in terms of of gas supply. That's going to be of, of an ongoing, you know, albatross around developed international markets as far as we're concerned. So, um, and and that's probably not going to be resolved anytime soon. So as long as that um, that albatross is hanging around the neck of developed international markets, specifically as it regards to the relative activity between developed international and U.S. markets, uh, we would we continue to be negative in this space. Um, as you mentioned, inflation is is continuing to rise, which is which is problematic. Um, you know, we talked about perhaps the Fed leaning on the dovish side uh, with policy when when all is said and done. I think the ECB is certainly going to lean on the dovish side, certainly relative to the Fed when all is said and done. They may they may take some more de definitive action here in the near term. Um, but um, yeah, I, I just I just. I just think that the relative to U.S. markets, developed international is is not your, uh, is not our first choice here. It is in fact domestic 
bias in, in our suggested exposure. Yeah, we, we were already negative tactically, and, and now we've become even more negative, so strengthened our preference for uh, the U.S. The strong dollar is certainly part of it. We'll, we'll show you a chart of the dollar here in a, a second. Really the same story, or similar story anyway, for emerging markets, um, where it looks like just the U.S. is in a stronger position to manage through this these inflationary challenges. Uh, but, you know, in EM, looking fundamentally, uh, you also have the, I mean, the strong dollar is a part of it, uh, certainly is a challenge for um, EM, but you also have deteriorating earnings. Earnings in IFA, you know, developed international, have held up a bit better. Uh, emerging market earnings have been deteriorating here for a while, and the the downtrend in earnings estimates has been more pronounced uh, in, in EM. So that concerns us, even though valuations are cheap. Um, that that's a reason to uh, you know to move away. Our view had been uh, neutral, or has been neutral in emerging markets, and we have since turned more cautious uh, as we um, uh, we enter September. So, Mark, as you look at this chart, I mean, you know, the we were in danger or are in danger of breaking support on the developed international chart. Now I look at emerging markets; it looks like it pretty much already has broken support here. What do you see when you look at these charts? Yeah, um, you know, more in the same in, in terms of emerging market, you know, technicals here. Um, again, that simply the, the the trend is definitively not not your friend. Um, we're we're going to take a look at the dollar, take a look at the commodities, and and what that potentially means for for EM. But um, yeah, I, I mean, for my money, for for a long time, I think this market still is kind of and almost is funny to say this out loud. I think the market is still correcting from the euphoria of the the bricks, right? Whether that would probably the peak was 2007-ish in the, in the brick trade. Um, and now people are just being reminded that the Chinese economy is not in, infallible. Um, Brazil certainly is not. Russia, of course, is not. You know, India may be the, the, the best house in what is a bad neighborhood at this point, uh, just in terms of uh, its go forward ability. But, um, you know, China's not growing at 10% a year anymore. Uh, Russia certainly has got its problems. Uh, Brazil has got its its problems. And I, and I think that um, it continues to kind of come into play as people rationalize expectations around some of these key countries. Um, and, um, and, and I, I think we are cheap, as you mentioned, Jeff, but probably cheap in EM for a reason. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, the dollar is certainly one of the reasons why it's, it's tough right now to like international that this, this rally has just been, uh, unrelenting. You have 20 year highs. Um, you got to go back. This chart doesn't go back far enough, but you got to go back like 20 years to find the dollar this strong while that does help uh exporters outside the u.s who are selling products into the u.s that takes time uh you know it's not a great environment for global trade right now anyway so in the short term you know and this is a tactical view uh you know maybe six nine months uh this strong dollar is is a real challenge because it just clips your international returns yeah, no question. And, and, and you know, I, I think if you take a look at the what this looks like a little bit of a parabolic nature in the dollar in terms of its trajectory, that, that you know, that may be worrisome to, to the degree that, you know, 
you know the dollar could kind of roll over just a little bit and and you know not continue on the parabolic trajectory but just simply stated looking at this chart kind of explains um what what you're seeing on a relative basis in in emerging markets certainly and then maybe uh ifa uh, perhaps slightly less so but yeah um yeah that the the dollar trajectory certainly been a a key weight around uh international equities and and i don't know that that changes anytime real soon yeah the, you got to probably wait until the fed slows down and then it's clear that the fed is behind the rest of the major central banks in 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 hiking or you know or further along in its hiking cycle uh and then maybe you get some relief on the dollar uh the commodities um trend has broken uh we have actually on a technical basis we are downgrading our views of the major commodity groups this month so you know you had this huge correction in june copper really led the way down uh, so, Mark, I mean, other than natural gas, it's just hard to find a commodity that really has a good a good trend right now. What do you see when you look at this chart? Yeah, I, I think uh, probably a, a little bit part and parcel of the inflation story um, that I, we've already seen inflation begin to roll over in the U.S. I think I think the, the peak of commodity euphoria in, during the course of that inflation story may have already been passed um, as well. I mean, if I'm looking directly at this chart and, and bumping our heads against the kind of the turquoise blue line that you see in front of you um, is is interesting. And then, and then actually breaking below what could have been support, which is the orange line that, that you're seeing is also interesting. Uh, again, I think the, you know the commodity trade perhaps may be largely over, uh, and we've been getting uh, probably less so, but we've been getting some questions amongst um, some folks asking us about how commodities may be uh, the new bond uh, alternative in terms of the overall asset allocation. We wouldn't do that at all. Um, so no, you know, commodities are not the the new bonds. We think. Commodities from a from a correlation perspective trade uh, too close to the equity market for one thing, and, and we would not be, um, you know, overweighting commodities here, Jeff. As as you mentioned, as a matter of fact, we would be looking opportunities to to trim exposure here, and, and some of the near term technicals, you know, point to that, and then more broadly, uh, a a deteriorating trend in commodities likely is is not good for EM broadly. Yeah, we still like the energy sector. Uh, you know, certainly producers with with their discipline and their you know returning capital shareholders still look like interesting places to be. Uh, but uh, might be a while before crude oil provides much support. Still, you know, in the eighties. So, um, want to make that distinction. We're talking about hard assets, not um, energy stocks here. So uh, let's go to a riser. This is the one that surprised me. The technicals and industrials. Uh, looked pretty good, Mark, even though the economic environment has gotten more more challenging. I think, you know, again, starting with fundamentals, it was really surprising to me coming out of second quarter earnings season, um, you know, Bank of America aggregated capital expenditures data for all the reports, and uh, and they were up like mid-teens. So capital expenditures for the S&P 500 growing year over year mid-teens, that's, that's really strong. So there's been kind of this hidden um strength on underlying this market here and, and and you know markets buying industrials when maybe 
common sense would tell you that you know that this is a sector you should avoid. I think I think you're right, Jeff. I mean, uh, categorically, I think I think the other aspect of it is if I think about it as an asset allocator, um, and you look at where you could be exposed in the U.S. equity markets. Um, do you want to be entirely defensive? Obviously, defense is def being defensive has worked um, most generally of late, but do you want to be entirely defensive? And, and maybe you want to have a little bit of cyclical exposure just in case that you know the defensive trade kind of rolls over. Um, and so the question becomes, where are you looking for that cyclical exposure? Is it consumer discretionary? Probably not. Is it materials? Well, that that trade has already probably seen its best days, perhaps. Um, so maybe there's a little bit of bottom fishing in industrials is the way I like to think about it. So yeah, um, you know, I think if you're going to be, you know, somewhat allocated to um, cyclical groups, industrials may be your best choice as you look across the S&P 500 sectors. Yeah, absolutely. Nice little uptrend in the in the relative strength chart, um, you know, kind of which of these sectors does not belong, right? It hasn't just been utilities and, and the other defensives, uh, consumer staples, which we'll get to in a second. It's, you know, industrials has been up there in the in the sector rankings uh, somewhat surprisingly. So our our view on industrials is now neutral after being negative and we'd be watching closely for an opportunity even to go more positive than that uh the last one we have is a faller it's consumer staples this is not a technical move at all um in fact the technicals look pretty pretty good here i'm sure mark you would agree uh so um but fundamentals you know if now that we're down where we're down uh if we think we're getting set up for a q4 rally you don't want to be too defensively positioned Right. And so we still like healthcare. We still like uh, real estate among the defensive sectors. But um, we think staples is one to move away from. And the big reason is the the cost pressures. Right. I mean, it was certainly widely reported the challenges that uh, Walmart had, which is a, a big consumer staple. Uh, when you're not growing very fast and you have cost pressures, it's really hard to offset that. So we would suggest. Um, starting to move away from staples because of that impending margin pressure. Yeah, and, and the simple math of it, Jeff, is that if you're going to raise our outlook for um, industrials uh, to uh, equal weight, you got to take you got to take money from somewhere. Um, and, and that it's certain consumer staples, you know, serves uh, that this purpose in that regard. And yeah, and it, so there's that. And then there's also, you know, trying to trying to balance the defensive and cyclical exposure exposure in, in a market that um that you know may see some consolidation perhaps through the month of of September um you know before maybe hopefully we move higher during the course of October and, and November so to the degree that we've got a market that's still trying to find its way um balancing that cyclical and, and defensive exposure perhaps is the best way to go Yes, I agree. Something else on the seasonality front. If you take the average midterm year performance, the bottom is September 30th on average. So maybe you don't have to run right into Staples today <laughs> or run away from Staples today, rather. Uh, maybe being in defensives for, for September makes some sense, but uh, uh, we certainly wouldn't wait too much longer than that uh, to uh, to start to move away and, and, and get a little bit more cyclical exposure. Our view on consumer discretionary is still negative, so we're not suggesting... Uh, you get cyclical exposure in that sector uh, right now. And then lastly, we're waiting for tech too, waiting for opportunities in tech, but are 
still kind of cautiously neutral short term. Uh, so let's wrap it up, Mark, by just previewing the week. We've got actually some pretty big central bank news, right? We got the ECB on Thursday and we got Powell speaking on Thursday, in addition to several other uh, Fed speakers. Um, anything here uh, that you think is particularly uh, noteworthy? Well, it's it's really going to be interesting as to what Christine Lagarde does at the ECB. I mean, I don't I don't know that 75 basis points is in the cards from that central bank. I, I would be surprised if it if they if they go 75 uh, honestly. Um, and then and then will be interesting kind of uh, contrast perhaps on what you know uh, Jerome Powell says. Uh, on on Thursday, does he does he carry forward the the Jackson whole message, um, or does he kind of walk that back just a little bit, or maybe the the market participants thinks he will think he walks it back just a little bit? Jobless came, claims always on Thursday. The ISM number, um, you know, positive uh, likely in the, in that you know you're going to continue to see services economic strength relative to to uh, goods economic strength and and you know jeff roach has pointed out a couple of different times now that you know you're getting that goods inflation rolling over while services inflation still is um is is running fairly fairly hot um and the the, the services activity in the economy um speaks to that yeah, this this um, I mean, we we shouldn't probably focus too much on fifty or seventy five. It's just one meeting, right? And what really matters is where they end up, right? And the path of rate hikes and the path of inflation over the next several months. But yeah, if the ECB goes seventy five, that's going to surprise some folks. That's going to be a statement, right? Because they're new, normally um, normally dovish. And then jobless claims. That's another area. You know, we 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 made that big move. Uh, I think we're 75,000 jobs off the lows, roughly, or 70,000 jobs off the lows. Uh, and, um, you know, that means that the labor market is is slowing and there are fewer openings. And that should help take a little bit of the heat uh, out of the labor markets and out of the wages. So, um, you know, jobless claims is another piece, not just the Friday job report, but the jobless claims recently have also kind of been right where I think the Fed uh, would would want it. So hopefully these um all of these central bank comments and and meetings will will help. There's one in Canada too this week, I think. Uh, hopefully will help the markets get more comfortable with the rate hiking campaign and the inflation outlook, but um, certainly not something we're gonna bet on right this minute. So um tough environment. Uh, so with that, uh, well, actually we've we left off one thing right on the the week ahead mark, which is the um the um start of football season. So for all of you football fans out there, enjoy the start of football. Well, it's college has already started, but enjoy the start of NFL football. Uh, maybe we'll we'll give some picks next week. We'll we'll see. So uh, with that, we'll wrap. Thanks, Mark, for joining this week for LPL Market Signals. Yeah. Thanks to all of you, our loyal listeners, for joining us again. Uh, fun discussion this week. Uh, we will uh, see you next time. Thanks so much. 
This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.